0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Zen Buddhism by the Numbers. Number 2. Birth and Death. Yin and Yang. Bazo's Sun-Faced Buddha, Moon-Faced Buddha. Consider the Evening Gatha. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken, take heed. And koans that shine a light on the torments of being stuck in duality Hekigan Roku case fifty-five Dogos I would not tell you. Mumankan case thirty-five, Seijo's soul separated. And as for Yin and Yang, Tao De Jing chapter forty-two, Tao engenders one, one engenders two, two engenders three. Three engenders the 10,000 things. The 10,000 things carry shade and embrace sunlight. Shade and sunlight, yin and yang, breath blending into harmony. Humans hate to be alone, poor, and hungry. Yet kings and princes use these words as titles. We gain by losing, lose by gaining. What others teach, I also teach. A violent person does not die a natural death. This is the basis of my teaching. I would say good afternoon, but this being a single day that lasts until the 8th of December, I think it's more like mid-morning. So you have lots and lots to look forward to. A beautiful long day stretching in front of you. So... This is a somewhat unusual format for a Taisho. I'm using numbers to um, explore various topics of Buddhism, of life. Um, And we're up to number two. Number two suggests duality. And so all of the texts that I've mentioned in this introduction deal with the subject of duality as many, many Zen texts do. Birth and death, yin and yang, bazo, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. I've already given a talk on Bazo's Sun Face Buddha, Moon Face Buddha. Um, that was uh, a Sunday ago um, in the uh, Threefold Sangha Mandala Day online meeting. So I'm going to explore a few other things within this subject of duality. And the first is the subject of birth and death. There is a gatha poem which is recited in many Zen temples. We don't do it here, but I know at um, uh, Zen Mountain Monastery they do, and many other places, particularly Soto Zen temples, recite the evening gatha each evening. And the evening gatha is basically a reminder. You're going to die a good reminder. Your time is short. Make the most of it. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes, and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken. Take heed. This, let me respectfully remind you, this is something which each of us knows intellectually that we're going to die. When we're honest with ourselves, we don't, have any reason to doubt that we're going to die. And yet we think, oh, it's going to be, I don't know. Let's see, it's 2022 now, maybe 2050, maybe 2060. But we don't know. We don't know. So much happens, disease war, accidents. Your days are numbered. That's true of all of us. Some people die when they're 40. Some people die when they're 10. Some people die when they're 100. 120. There's no knowing. The only thing that you can be sure of is right now you have the opportunity to awaken. And in this particular setting, this wonderful long day of Rohatsu, When, as Hakuin put it, we have the opportunity to cut our lives off at the root. This is the moment. This saying of Hakuin, cut your lives off at the root. That's what you did when you walked into this monastery. Bye bye, family. Bye-bye, home. For this week, you're all monks. Now, this may not be something that you carry throughout your life. For some of us, it will be. For others, perhaps not. But for this time, this wonderful opportunity, you are homeless which means you are free. You are free to wake up and to enjoy what is here and is always here. But so often we have bills to pay, we have emails to answer, we have letters to write, We have games to watch. We have games to play. We have so much. The 10,000 things. And this oneness, which is always here with you, is obscured behind the clouds of activity and confusion and anxiety. And here we have a chance to put all of that away, just leave it on the side, to cut off our attachments. No, your wife or your husband doesn't die simply because you're here at the monastery. And you will be going back to them, most likely. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, you're free. You're free to breathe, free to luxuriate in your pain. in your awareness, in your joy, in the snow, in the light, in the rain. What a wonderful opportunity. What a wonderful opportunity. So rare. So And but remember, time swiftly passes. Even this one long day, at some point, will be over. And the time to awaken is now. Not on the seventh day or the eighth day, but right now. Whenever you awaken, it's always now. It can't be any other time. It has to be now. So Zen Buddhism came to us by way of Japan but came to Japan by way of China. And the Chinese had a particularly fertile ground for the flourishing of Zen Buddhism. Around the same time that Shakyamuni Buddha was sitting under the bow tree, and experiencing enlightenment. In China, there were developments taking place that were extremely important. One was Confucianism, but perhaps more to the point in terms of the development of Zen Buddhism, Taoism, was being developed. And one of the chief developers of the Tao, somebody whose life is shrouded in legend, was the master Lao Tzu, although I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, I have to confess. And I've looked to try to find how to pronounce his name, and I, I see many different spellings and many different pronunciations. So Lao Tzu is what I grew up reading. I think now, uh, more commonly, it's Lao Zha. Um Chinese is not the easiest language for an, a Westerner. Laozi lived around the same time as Buddha. And the principal work that he's known for is known as the Tao De Jing. Um, it's a series of poems, a rather long series of poems, each poem a separate chapter. And like any poetry, any good poetry, it's open to interpretation. Many, many different ways of looking at it. The same text can be taken to mean many different things. Before I get into this poem, though, I just wanted to mention one thing. Uh, I said that there are many legends about Lao and one of them is that um, he wrote the Tao Te Ching um, when he was leaving his city, um, the city which is now known as Luang, uh and he was stopped at the west gate. And a sentry said, you can't leave until you write down your wisdom. And so he wrote down this series of poems. And the sentry was so impressed that he became his disciple and followed him to India, where he became one of the teachers of the Buddha. Now, I have very little reason to think that this is historically accurate. But it does give a sense of the cross-fertilization that was going on between China and India, which probably were the two most advanced cultures in the world at the time. And ideas flowed back and forth. The idea of the Tao you find all the time in, in Buddhism. Particularly in Zen, when we talk of followers of the Way, the Way is Dao. That's literally what Dao means: is the Way. And when Rinzai and Bodhidharma and all of the Chinese ancestors tried to express their Dharma, they found a rich Chinese vocabulary that had already been explored for hundreds of years. In fact, a thousand years by the time Bodhidharma came to China. This Tao, the way, there's no precise translation, just as there's no precise translation for shunyata but it's it has essentially the feeling of shunyata unborn undying the flow of the universe very much the feeling of the dharmadhatu but shunyata is fine too The Tao, you can think of it as the source. Tao engenders one. One engenders two. Two engenders three. Three engenders the 10,000 things. The 10,000 things carry shade and embrace sunlight. Shade and sunlight, yin and yang. Breath blending into harmony. So this first stanza is essentially... The Taoist cosmology, how did things come to be? In Buddhist metaphysics, in the Heart Sutra, we hear the five skandhas are shunyata. And the five skandhas are how this world is experienced. In Taoism, the way this world is experienced the 10,000 things, rest on the Tao. So the five skandhas are shunyata, the 10,000 things are sourced from the Tao. And just as you can be confused and not have any sense of emptiness and the Limitless, boundless potential of emptiness because of attachments and all of the confusion that that engenders. This is also what they say in this chapter 42 the Tao engenders one. Oneness, Tatagata. Thusness. The Tao engenders thusness. Thusness engenders two. The absolute and the relative are always, always intertwined. Everything that is relative, every conditioned thing, is also absolute. But it's so hard to see it that way. Because as soon as you have black, you're looking for white. As soon as you have sunlight, you're looking for shade. Sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha, how are you feeling today? For those of you who missed the talk that I gave, the koan goes, Bazo was seriously ill. The head monk came to inquire about his health. How are you feeling today? Bazo, knowing that he was going to die, said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha, Both absolute, both absolutely perfect. The sun faced Buddha lives for 1800 years. The moon faced Buddha, just a day and a night. Both perfect. Life and death, both perfect. It's not that life is good and death is bad. No. These things that we think of as opposite. The Taoists tell us they are not opposite. They're complementary. One carries the other. The yin-yang symbol, which I printed and most of you know this symbol, a circle. You can think of it as a mandala. The circle. In the circle, one-half white, one-half black, one-half yin, one-half yang. Within the yin, there's a white circle, yang. Within the Yang, there's a black circle, yin. Within sunlight, shade. Within shade, sunlight. Always. Within life, death. Within death, life. Always. We break these things down into good and bad, high and low. But that's nonsense. Bodhidharma said, reality has no high and low. So Sanganchi Zenji said, Infinitely small things are infinitely vast. Infinitely vast things are infinitely small. But through constant comparison and attachment to our preferences, we see this is good and that is bad. This is new and that is old. It's all just our limited way of seeing things. One engenders two. The two is yin and yang. Duality. Complementarity. And this complementarity is engenders three. You have a male and a female, and soon you have a baby. You have sun and soil, and soon you have a plant. Complementarity is an engendering process. How do we exist? Because each of the skandhas comes to the next, and the next, and the next. And all of a sudden, you've got consciousness, and you've got critters walking around, calling themselves president or Lord High Puba, all of it empty. All of it just the Tao finding expression momentarily. It's here and it's gone. Like that. Just like us. We're here and we're gone. The person you were, This morning is not the person you are now. The person you are now is not the person you're going to be at the end of Rahatsu. We think of birth and death as this event that just happens. You're born, hey, once. You die, once. But no, you're born and then you're born, and then you're born, and you die, and then you die, and then you die. And whether you believe in reincarnation or not, in the course of one lifetime, you live countless lifetimes. This baby that you are, where, where is that baby? the senile, doddering fool that you may turn out to be. Where is that person? That person's waiting to be born. Three engenders the 10,000 things. This engendering process just goes on and on and on. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the engendering process. There's nothing wrong with the 10,000 things. There's nothing wrong with sensual pleasure, the taste of a good meal. The problem is when we are stuck, as we so often are, when we're caught. We're caught in our preferences, and we're caught in our distinctions. This is high, and this is low. This is good, and this is bad. And nobody can tell us otherwise. And we have to cut this off at its root. This is the life we have to cut off at the root. This is this, not good and bad. Pain in zazen, is that good or is that bad? Grief for a loved one. Is that good or is that bad? It simply is. It's absolute. That's a wonderful thing. Sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. The translation of this um, version of the Tao Te Ching is a very beautiful translation done by um, two people, Stephen Addis and Stanley Lombardo. And I'll, I'll put a plug in for Stanley Lombardo. He also did a wonderful translation of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And if you've never, if you haven't read the Iliad and the Odyssey, it's a treat and you should definitely do so before you die. Um, and I would recommend, there are many good versions of it, but the Stanley Lombardo version is a particularly good one. And It's a wonderful, wonderful modern version. Three engenders the 10,000 things. The 10,000 things carry shade and embrace sunlight. What a beautiful, beautiful line that is. The 10,000 things carry shade and embrace sunlight. Shade and sunlight, yin and yang. Breath blending into harmony. That's what we're doing here. Breath blending into harmony. One of the central concepts of Taoism and of the Tao Te Ching is the concept of Wu Wei. Wu is Chinese for the Japanese, Mu when joshu answers the monk he does not say Mu because he's not japanese he's chinese he says wu wu wei means doing nothing by doing nothing you return to your original nature that sound familiar This is the central or one of the central concepts of Taoism. Not doing. When you're doing zazen, you're doing nothing. Which is not quite correct because there's a you there. when you're really connected to your zazen, nothing is doing nothing. Nothing is doing nothing. You're just there as an observer. Nothing is doing nothing. Breath blending into harmony. Even with the pain... Pain blending into breath, blending into harmony. Even with the thoughts that come, as long as you don't grab them and make yourself a slave to them, that's just thoughts blending into breath, blending into harmony. Just doing nothing. Humans hate to be alone, poor, and hungry. Yet kings and princes use these words as titles. We gain by losing. Lose by gaining. By losing, we gain the Tao. The unborn, the undying. Emptiness. Losing our agendas. Losing our attachments. Losing our lives, as Hakuin says, cut your life off at its root. And you gain. This, this endless, undying now. There are a couple of koans that I mentioned in the text. One is Hekigan Roku Case 55 Dogos I Would Not Tell You which is a wonderful koan of life and death. I'll skip Engo's introduction and Secho's verse and just read the main subject of the koan. One day, Dogo, accompanied by his disciple Zengen, went to visit a family in which a funeral was to take place in order to express sympathy. Zengen touched the coffin and said, Tell me, please. Is this life or is this death? Dogo said, I would not tell you whether it is life or it is death. Zengin said, why don't you tell me? Dogo said, no, I would not tell you. On their way home, Zengin said, Osho, please. Be kind enough to tell me. If not, I'll hit you. (laughs) Dogo said, Strike me if you like. But I would not tell you. Zengen struck Dogo. Later, Dogo passed away. Zengen came to Sekiso, and told him the whole story. Sekiso said, I would not tell you whether it is life or it is death. Zengen said, why don't you tell me? Sekiso said, no, I would not tell you. Upon these words, Zengen attained sudden realization. One day, Zengen carrying a hoe went up and down the lecture hall as if he were searching for something. Sekiso asked, What are you doing? Zengen said, I'm searching for the spiritual remains of our dead teacher. Sekiso said, Limitless expanse of mighty roaring waves. Foaming waves wash the sky. What relic of the deceased teacher do you seek? Zengen said, It is a way of acquiring strength. Taigen Fu said, The deceased teacher's spiritual remains still exist. How many people here have gone to a funeral? Most, I would think, right? How many people have touched a dead body? How many people have watched somebody die? It's an experience to watch someone die. One moment you have a human being with all of the intelligence and warmth and love and spirit. And the next minute you have a piece of meat. This is birth and death. Is this life or is this death? And no degree of explanation or philosophizing or poetry can prepare you for that moment. And none of it can make you see the oneness and emptiness and limitless potential, the Tao, within this birth and death. There's only one thing that can do that. That is to cut your life off at its root. Having done that, birth is all right. Death is all right. Yes, we grieve. Of course, we grieve because our love transports us but that grief is all right. That grief is, is beautiful. Dogo says, I would not tell you because there is no substitute for cutting your life off at its root. Coming to this realization, waking up, to tell someone is to do someone the gravest injustice and disservice. It's to trivialize what is the greatest understanding, the greatest realization, the greatest awakening that a human being can have. And the realization occurs when it has to occur. There is nothing that can be done to make it occur out of its appointed time. Ida Roshi always used the phrase, the fullness of time. A wonderful phrase. The fullness of time. When the universe has brought you to this moment and everything falls away, it happens in the fullness of time. It's a paradox that we push ourselves and struggle. And we have to push ourselves and struggle. And yet the pushing and the struggling does not make it happen. It's a paradox. It can't happen without the pushing and struggling. Or perhaps it can for some rare, rare person in some rare, rare instance. But for most of us, poor schleps, it just won't happen unless we push and struggle. And yet, it's not the pushing and the struggling that makes it happen. It happens in the fullness of time. If you're a Christian, you can call it grace. Grace can't be bought. not even with your struggles. The last case that I cited, a very short case, Woman Khan case 35, Seijo's soul separated. Goso said to his monks, Seijo's soul separated from her being. Which was the real Seijo? This is a reference to a Chinese story. Briefly, a young woman was deeply in love with a neighbor, Ochu. But her parents forbid her to marry this young man. They had designs on her future. And so Ochu was sent away. Seijo. left her home in the middle of the night and followed Ochu. And they lived together and had children. They got married. And then after a number of years, they repented and wanted their parents' blessing. And they went back to their home. And they found that Seijo was in bed in a coma. And when the two Sajos met, they melted into each other, and they became one. This is Essentially, what we're doing here. How do you become one? How do you become one? How do you leave aside the divisions and become wholehearted? How do you gain true integrity? That's our practice. How do you become one? This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.